0: I am so blessed to be in this church and to be continually blessed by your presence. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's four years now that I've been here, and uh, the first Sunday in January, four years ago, and uh, it has just been uh, a continual blessing, uh, week in, week out. And so it's uh, it should be I who is blessing you, but in so many ways you, you do that to me, and I appreciate that. And a uh, blessing is a powerful thing to encourage someone I, you know, I still remember, uh, I guess it was 20, 22 years ago, a blessing one teacher gave me. I was uh, in middle school, middle school at East Millbrook, not too far away, and we could take electives, we could choose, you know, different classes, and I was able in seventh grade to get into a small engine class, and I, I thought, man, this is the class of all of middle school that I want to be in, I'm in it. Especially since I had just finished, uh, pottery and weaving. I wanted to get in something just a little bit more what I thought was, uh, uh masculine. And, and we had a, a male teacher. And I tell you, male teachers for young boys, uh, can do wonders for them. I, I, for when, as soon as I started that class, I said to myself, I set up on a goal that I want to get his praise. I just wanted to to have an affirmation from this teacher, and uh, one one time we were uh, taking down a small engine or we bringing it and tearing it down, bring it back up, and it was our goal. We had to find uh, five problems. We were troubleshooting uh, the engine, and and uh, we had a team working together. And it was the uh, we just started. I mean, just started, and, and I saw something right off the the top of a the top of the engine. The head screw was not tightened good, and I just noticed it that way. And and the teacher was happened to be there. And he said. Good job, Jared. And I still remember that. It meant something to me to have this teacher just to praise the work that I was doing. I I wanted to be affirmed. Blessings and encouragement are a powerful thing. It can impact a young man for 22 years just with a word like that. And what we've got in this story is a man that is desperately desiring affirmation. He wants to be blessed. He wants to be encouraged. And he finds all manner of means to do so. It started from the very beginning, even in the mother's womb, when he had, the, for him, the misfortune of being born as a twin and trying to supplant and get over, even in the birth order, uh, trying to get in front of his brother. And from that point on, he is constantly struggling and wrestling with his brother. And he uh, wants to get the birthright, the special blessing. And so he tricks his brother and gets him to sell it uh, for some stew. And then as he gets older, at the ripe old age of 77, which tells me you never outgrow your desire to be affirmed, to be special in some way. So at this age of 77, he, uh, with his mother's help, deceives his father and steals the inheritance from his older brother Esau, which uh, earns much hatred. Esau vows that he will kill his brother, and with his mother's help and his father's acknowledgement, he is sent away to go and to find a wife back into the mother's homeland, hundreds of miles away, with the idea that the mother is going to give word to him that when his brother cools down, he can come back safely. Well... (laughs) It doesn't quite happen that way. We find that as the story goes on, 20 years pass before he ever comes back home. And even then, he never gets word from his mother, as, as best we know. In that 20 years' time, he comes up with his uncle and meets with him. And, and there he starts seeing uh, the most beautiful daughter and starts wanting to earn her love and starts literally working seven years only to be tricked by his, his uncle who deceives him and gives him a little taste of his own medicine. He is not daunted and works another seven years uh, after being married to Leah, the older, uglier sister, evidently. And then he goes on and pursues seven more years working for Rachel and all total, he works 20 years because after he gets his wives, then he tries to get his mo- the money. And he gets deceived many times by Laban and wages change 10 times. It's a constant struggle trying to get what he thinks is affirmation. Let him be the favorite position. Let it be expressed by money. We do the same thing, do we not? How do we know when we're special? It is when our employers say, we will pay you more than anyone else. And we will clamor and we will work and we will strive to get in that position. Sometimes for the money, but often it's more because of what the money means. That we are valued by somebody. And so he has spent his years striving for that. And now near the age of 100, God gives him word. You need to go back to the homeland of Canaan. And uh, he sneaks away uh, as his nature, scheming, relying, relying on his wits, his relationship with his uncle is going bad. So he sneaks away. Laban finds out about it. Pursues him, and so in flight he still gets caught by Laban. And if it wasn't for the intervention of God, Laban would have probably done him harm then. But God has been the one who has stepped in and blessed Jacob all along the way, even when Jacob wasn't aware of it. He has been the one who has blessed him financially. He is the one who's protected his life and hindered uh, Laban from killing him. And so in this pursuit, away he finally gets away from laban he sees god's hand there's a treaty made and now he goes from the from well uh, the frying pan into the fire because where is he where is he headed he's headed back home where esau is at and at last he knew esau wanted to kill him so you know you leave one stressful situation and you get ready to go into another and that's where we find ourselves and it's about uh well a, I'm not going to read it all to you at one time. I think we're going to just get to this passage, and we're going to read it as we go. And and watch how the story unfolds, and you'll find that there's one powerful lesson throughout this story. Jacob learns it. In fact, God has been at work in Jacob's life to teach him this lesson for 100 years, and he's finally getting to the point. All right, so here's the good news. You don't have to be 100 to learn this lesson, all right? All you gotta do is listen carefully today. Alright? Take the pains of Jacob and benefit from it and apply it today. That being said, still some of you won't do that. But nonetheless, Genesis 32, verse 1. If you remember, all the way back when Jacob left the Canaan promised land, he did so with a vision. You remember this the vision of the stairway to heaven? God's message to Jacob, I am with you. He called it Bethel. This is house of God. I have access to God. Jesus later on referred to that and said, you know, that's a picture of me. I'm the stairway to heaven. And so as he's coming back into this special land, lo and behold, he sees another uh, vision of angels. He sees a camp of angels. And so just as he left, so he comes back as a way of telling Jacob, this is a special place that God will give and uh, numeral blessings through spiritual blessings, and so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Verse one, and when Jacob saw them, he said, "This is God's camp," which means is the name Mehei Name. It says God, you know, God not only is here, but He is not only His house here; He is camping with me. The idea is God's going with me as I go. And listen, for you who are believers in Jesus Christ, Jacob has does not have anything on you. You too can say. This is Mahanaim, God camps with you still through the spirit of God. The Bible says that his his spirit dwells with those who believe in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so we've got the idea, Mahanaim meaning two camps, two camps. Where I go, there's another camp. Where you sit, there's another one sitting. Where you walk, there's another one walking. It is there, the very presence of God there with you. And so, verse 3, Jacob, he's changed we're going to see how he's changed since this past 20 years. we get a clue in verse 3. Jacob sent messengers, literally angels, interesting theme here. He sends angels before him, sends messengers before him to Esau, his brother. Okay. His brother in the land of Sierra and the country of Edom, which is, uh, east of Israel, uh, on the other side of the Jordan River. It seems to be where, uh, Esau seems to dwell and hang out. And it's an interesting play on in words. If you remember, all the way back, uh, in the story of Esau, the Bible describes him as very hairy and red complexion. Alright. The words for hairy is similar to the word Sierra. And the word for red is very similar to the word Edom. And so, consequently, the the land that he dwells in even takes on the characteristics by name of his person. And even, uh, interesting enough, if you go there, uh, there is still a good bit of red tint all throughout the soil. I've got a sample of that in my office there. Uh, This is about 100 miles south where Esau is at, about 100 miles south where Jacob is about to cross the Jordan River uh, near the brook Jabbok. And so, he sends messengers. He initiates... A reconciliation between him and his brother. He realized he has grieved his brother. And he's wanting to repair a relationship. He takes initiative. He could have snuck by like he tried to do with Laban. But he learned something there with Laban. And he says, I want to acknowledge something here. I don't want to walk anymore in fear. Let's bring a resolution if we can. So he sends messengers down to his brother Esau. But notice the message He says to them, I want you to tell them this, verse 4. Tell them, say to them, My Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. Now, this is very foreign for Jacob. This this is the one Jake's, all right? He has used people for his own benefit. And so this is uncharacteristic of Jacob to call his brother Lord and call himself servant. Maybe he's just trying one of his tricks again. We'll see. He says, All right, this is your servant Jacob. I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. What's he saying? I'm rich now, Esau. Oh, Jacob, why are you bragging? He's not bragging. He's letting his brother know I don't need to go back and lay claim to the inheritance of Isaac. There is no need. I have been blessed by God and I want to take what God has blessed me and be a blessing to you so that I can find favor. All right. He has stolen something from you. I stole the inheritance and I want to repay it back to you. I want to make our relationship. And, you know, sometimes it's not enough to say I'm sorry. Do You understand that? It's not enough sometimes to say I'm sorry. There needs to be another thing saying, what can I do to make it right? What can I do to make it right? Will you forgive me? What do I need to do to make it right? And that's what Jacob is pursuing now uh, and asking that of him. And so uh, we find that there is a good bit of maturing, a desire in, in Jacob's life to get things right with his brother. This is quite a bit different from the Jacob we know. Verse 6, all right, messengers go off hundred miles down south. Tell him he's waiting another hundred miles coming back. So, you can imagine Jacob just kind of wondering what's going on. Here's the word messengers, all right? He is Esau, and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. That's not good. 400 men is more than enough to handle any luggage that Jacob has, all right? This is not a greeting committee, all right? This, when you have 400 men, the idea is that Esau has on his mind violence, all right? He is wanting to repay, not with his livestock, but with the blood of him and his family. 400 men. Remember, this is uh, akin to how many number of men that Abraham had when he wiped out the 10 kings that were going against Lot uh, and, and Sodom. And so we, we see the number here is significant. And and notice Jacob's reaction for seven. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And rightfully so. Think, I mean, it's just afraid, greatly distressed, greatly afraid. When was the time you were most scared. When were you most afraid? All right, That's the type of words you use. You're greatly afraid and distressed. You remember that time? Don't you, you wish to... I remember sometimes praying that, oh, Lord, you know... I, as I remember as a young child, you remember we always had these threats of, of getting in fights and stuff, and, and often we did get in fights. And yeah, you know, It wasn't just like a fit of rage and, and get it over with. There was, there was always those... Psychologist, terrorist in elementary school that said, after school, you know, you and I are going to meet at the bus stop. That was our, at the bus stop. That was where our little meeting place took, you know, took it. And I, I thought, you know, you're just in fear. And I remember as a young boy thinking, Lord, can I just miss school today? Can I wake up sick? The temperature? Lord, can somehow you just maybe fly away? And that's our desire that we just want to escape. It doesn't happen here doesn't happen with Jacob. And so, here they come. Jacob is, he's got a plan. Divide the people, flocks and herds and camels into two camps. Thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So he is literally cutting his losses. So, I'm not going to avoid this. I'm just going to cut my losses. He's not going to take out my whole camp. He's just going to take half my camp. He's going to take half my family. And that's better than all my family. So let's split up in two. Which also speaks to how abundantly he's been blessed. And so, verse nine, we got a prayer. This is the first recorded prayer of Jacob. We've got something akin to it in chapter twenty-eight, but not really a prayer. We've got it in, our, in our bedroom and our our children's room, and, you know, one of those measuring sticks. So every year we. We put them up and say, let's see how much you've grown this past year when we make our little notch. All right, well, if you will, if you will look at this scene kind of as the measuring stick of Jacob's life, his prayer life. His prayer life is the measuring stick. If we were to look at your prayer life, what would that say about your growth spiritually? But here's here's Jacob. And if you will just turn back with me to chapter 28, verse 20 through 22. We're going to see what he sort of prayed back then. It was a true prayer. It was right after the vision that he had with God and the stairway to heaven. All right, This is what he prayed back then, or, or as acknowledged. After having all these promises from God, Jacob responds, he made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. and This stone which I set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. If God really does all that he says he does, then he'll be my God. And I'll give them a tenth. That's a good fee for a provider. I will acknowledge that. If, if he serves my purposes, if he says all he says, okay, we'll see. God will be my God then. Well, that's not really the type of prayer that jesus was teaching later on but nonetheless it seems to indicate where jacob was at that's where he was 20 years ago let's see where he's at now let's go back to our text chapter 32 verse 9 notice how he starts this isn't the model prayer jesus gave us the model prayer matthew 6 but it's a good prayer some things to learn Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. He is acknowledging who he's talking about. He's remembering what God has been in his past. Nothing too different there. He knew who, who God was of Abraham and Isaac before, but notice what he says then. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. The, the God of my father Isaac and Abraham, you are now my Lord. Well, Jacob, aren't you jumping jumping the gun? You said that wouldn't happen until you got back to your father's house. You're not there yet. You're still on the other side of the Jordan River, and Esau's coming to get you. You're kind of stepping ahead here. Well, he's learned that was inappropriate, what he said back then. And he's learned by the mercy of God. God, he said, God has been so good to me. He has spared me through Laban and through so many times I no longer have the right to hold that over God and see if God will prove himself to me. He is now my Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. Notice uh, one key in that. He says, oh, Lord, who said to me, he is praying the word of God. It's you who said this to me, God. I'm going to pray it back to you. Reading the Bible goes hand in hand with praying. What you read, when God speaks to your heart about it, giving you a promise, a command, you then pray that promise. You then pray that command. And when you pray, make sure you're praying the word of God and not you're going outside of what the word of God instructs us. And doing, and so he says, "Lord, you said to me to return to your country and to your kindred. I'm doing that. I'm that I may do you good." And notice verse ten: "I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your steadfast love and the faithfulness that you show in your servant." Isn't this such a stark contrast to what he said in twenty-eight. God, if you prove yourself to me, then maybe I'll make you my God. Ooh, God. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds good. It's like we do God's favor if we worship Him. Oh, God, you owe us now. I prayed, I sang, I gave some money. God, oh, you've been blessed by me. That is so arrogant. It is exalting ourselves above God. But now he's saying, God, I am so unworthy. You have given me love and faithfulness. None of these things you've done that I have deserved. Listen, his prayer life was not based on his lifestyle. His effectiveness in prayer was not based on... His effectiveness in prayer was based on trusting in the character of God. His steadfast love and faithfulness in the Word of God. So, you know, it's, I'm a, folks come up to me and say, Well, you Pastor, will you pray for me? And that's good. We are to be praying for one another. But the attitude is, if you pray for me, then it makes a difference. Listen, listen. When I pray for you, it does make a difference, but it's not because I'm praying. It's not because it's unique to me. It's not like, well, you know, God will hear your prayer more than mine. No. God doesn't hear your prayer because I'm a pastor and you're not. It doesn't hear your prayer because you're good or you're not. He hears your prayer because of the character of God. Because of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And when you come to him appealing for his mercy and grace, God says, I will hear you. I will hear you. Acknowledging who you are, God, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve for you to hear me, but I know that you will because of who you are. And that's the attitude that he has. And he says, and then, then he makes his request. He says, as I look back, with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan River. I remember that time, and now I've become two camps. Look have you blessed me. Please, and here's his request. Deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear that he may come and attack me, the mothers, with the children. And notice, that's his request, but notice the argument he gives. What did he argue with God about? Why should God answer this request? Because, verse 12, but you said... I will surely do you good and make you offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. When we make requests from God, can we go back to scripture and say, here's why it fits into your heart. It fits into your word. This is why this prayer should be answered. That's exactly what Jacob is doing. You got to know the word of God to know how to pray, to know how to ask and what to ask. And so Jacob is doing exactly that. And then... Verse 13. By the way, how did he know verse 12? How did he know to pray that? Remember, Abraham, when he died, Jacob was 15. He would have heard the promises of God to Abraham that Abraham would have shared. That God said, you know what? As the number of the sands of the the sea, so shall your offspring be. And the stars of the sky, so your offspring would be. And he has had that reaffirmed through Isaac and then through the promises of God to himself. So verse 13. After praying that prayer, he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. Now notice all that he takes. Two hundred female goats, twenty male goats, two hundred ewes, twenty rams, thirty milk camels, and their cows, forty cows, ten bulls, twenty female donkeys, and ten male donkeys, and a partridge and a pear tree. I mean, it's just like this huge listing of animals, one after the other. All total, 580 animals. And more importantly, it's not just one sex. It's male and female. And so he gave him a growing gift. Growing gift. In other words, if Esau was totally bankrupt before, he is no longer. And with what he has been given, he is able to, with proper care, have it growing. And he's set for life. No inheritance needed. You've got the blessings of God through Jacob. Now, he sets these off in herds, all total, about five herds, with the servants over these herds, uh, and he spaces these out so that over the hundred miles that Esau's traveling, he's going to encounter these about five times, and each one is given a message. Can you imagine you're on that journey with Esau? Esau's all mad, he's got his men, and they're all in a rage, you know, and they're Flying through the desert on the camels, and off they see the the on the horizon a, a cloud of dust, and like, oh, what's going on? Does Jacob have an army coming after us? But no, you see, and you start smelling it, you know, and he's like, oh, that's not men, that's something else. And, and then you you get a little bit closer, and you realize, and you hear it, you hear the sounds, and and then as you you can see it, and then you see a servant, and the servant comes and and greets you, and notice the message that is given. He says it in uh, verse eighteen. He says. These that you see belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover he is behind us. Wow. (laughs) Servant. Lord. Gifts. Five times. And these are big gifts. You can imagine even with the hottest heart. (laughs) The grace and goodness of Jacob start to do some things to you. Where did Jacob learn this? I think Jacob learned that from his heavenly father, God. That He's learned that it is the goodness of God that has led him to his own repentance. And so he's doing the same thing and making right the wrong that he'd done earlier in his life. And so that's instructed time after time. And verse 20 says, this is why I want you to say this, that it might appease him, pacify him, cover his face with with these presents that go ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Perhaps all these gifts will satisfy his wrath on my sin. Wow, that sounds a little bit something like Jesus did. God has a holy wrath. Not not the temper of of Esau and uh, the selfishness of Esau, but a holy wrath on your sin. And it was sure and it is sure that that wrath will be met upon you, save for the fact that Jesus has gone before you and has presented himself as something to satisfy God's holy wrath on our sin. Verse 21. So the presence passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The camp is a little bit more diminished but it becomes a restless night. Notice verse 22. He arose, which meant that he was laying down, probably trying to sleep. He can't sleep. He rises up, takes his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crosses the ford of the Jabbok, which is a uh, contributing stream. It runs perpendicular to Jordan River. Jordan River going from north to south, Jabbok going from the west to the east, in between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And so he crosses the ford of Jabbok, Maybe giving a little bit more distance between him and the brother. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. What do you do? And you're scared. You're praying. You're asking God for mercy. This is the blessed one of God. What is God going to do with someone like that? <laughs> he wrestles them all night and maims them. Wow. <laughs> You think that maybe at this point, you know, you're pleading for mercy, you're asking God to live in your life, that God's going to come in. Sometimes it's not going to be what you think. And more injury occurs. Yeah, well, well God, yeah, that doesn't seem fair. Well, here's the thing. God doesn't play by your rules of fairness. You understand that? God doesn't play by your rules of fairness. He, just, he gets to decide what fairness is. And he knows something that you do not. What does he know about Jacob? Well, we find that this encounter that he's about to have, he's going to meet with a man, verse 24, and wrestles with him until the breaking of the day. Talking about a long night. This wrestling actually is an answer to the prayer that Jacob just prayed. (laughs) When you pray, you have no idea how God's going to answer it. It may not be how you like it. And here he is. In the dark, wrestling. And notice what happens. There's an imagery of the dight and the dawn here. We find wrestling to the breaking of the dawn. And there's a word play we don't get. We find a little bit in Jacob and Jabbok. But the word wrestling is also very similar to the word Jacob and Jabok. If you can imagine that God yabaks with yekebobs by the yebok. All right. The Hebrew bringing this thing up. He's emphasizing something. God is Jacobing with Jacob by the j He is giving him a little bit of who he is. He says, you've always been one to struggle. You struggled with your brother. You struggled with your father. You struggled with Laban. And you struggled with your wives. He doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be struggling with his son soon enough. But all along... You are struggling with me. You're a struggler. You're a Jacob. A grabber of the foot. And so they wrestle. And they get to the point where all night, there's no victory. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, the hip socket being the strongest muscle in your body right there and your your legs, the power of your legs. And in the Bible, some translations might say the word struck. It's really a lot lighter than that. It's not like he frogged him or something. He just, you know, touched him, just touched him. Something about that let Jacob know, you know what? I've been fighting with this guy all night long and somehow just with one touch, he's been playing games with me. Now all of a sudden, I can't move my legs. This is not just a man. And Jacob's strategy changes. What does he do then? Normally, when you wrestle, you're trying to exert your will upon someone so you can gain the upper hand and get away. Jacob no longer is trying to get away. But we find, instead, as we read... Verse 26, then he said, let me go. The man said, let me go, for the day has broken. The night's over with, daytime's coming. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Get the picture. He can't move his hips. He can't move his legs. How do you wrestle when you can't do that? he is no longer trying to overwhelm him he is just holding on to this man he realizes that is more than a man he says i won't let you go and he's holding on with all of his strength there's nothing left for him to to do in exerting his will and so he says you know what i'm just i don't want all these things i want a blessing from you i desire you he has realized a truth in Zechariah 4, 6 is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, that when God gives a blessing, it will incur. And so of all things, he wants the blessing of God in his life. He wants the smile of God on him. He no longer wants the smile of Laban, the smile of Isaac, the smile of the those around him with his treasures. He wants the smile of God. And it is What happens? The man said to him, What is your name? Now, we know that this is not just a man. It's God. God isn't asking this question for his benefit. God knows his name. Why is he asking the question? He's doing it for the benefit of Jacob. What is your name? As he's holding on. Can you imagine Jacob saying, My name is Deceiver. Supplanter, schemer, con artist. My name is Jacob. He is admitting who he is. We will defend at all costs who we are. We will blind be blind to a measure of truth as long as we can look favorably upon ourselves and we will look with unblinking eyes at the faults of others. But with fantastical eyes at ourselves, believing a fantasy about ourselves. I was flipping through the TV this past Sunday and came across the show. I would not necessarily recommend the show, uh, but it was just an interesting scene. The, the idea is to reveal what true beauty is. And they had this uh, girl that was thinking she was all pretty, you know. Unknown, they had recorded some of these uh, scenes of her interactions. And what they were trying to present to her is that you're not really pretty, you're not beautiful on the inside. And uh, she's like, you know, of course, all angry. But who are you to say that? You know, true beauty comes within. And just you know, and says, okay, well, let's show these scenes. And they showed the scene where she just blew up in a fit of rage. Saw this other scene where she was looking and snooping by about other people's stuff. She was all defending of herself, and then she said, you know what? I'm still beautiful. I know who I am. I said, okay. They showed one more scene where she ignored someone that needed help so that she could get into the building real fast. I was like, ooh, that's cold. And here, this person reacts, and she's just furious, has no word of defense, still cop in the attitude, you know, and just walks out. I'm thinking, that's just like me. It's just like humans. She's not unique. We'd all be like that. We are blind to ourselves. But God isn't into playing games and pretending like your reality is true. God knows who you are, despite how you deceive yourselves. The Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What's the solution? But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's saying, Jacob, who are you? Are you going to tell the truth? Are you going to be honest? We need, when the question is asked us, you want to be blessed by God? You want to have the smile of God in your life? You've got to understand to owe up who you are. You've got to be willing to say, God, my name is bitterness. My name is greed. My name is liar, deception." My name is unfaithfulness. My name is selfishness. My name is adulterer. My name is murderer and hater. Until we owe up to who we are, there is no healing here. And God says, who are you? Jacob said, there's no pretending with you, God. You know all. I'm not into this to defend myself anymore, to gain the upper hand. I lay it all out. I'm Jacob. <laughs> but look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. What happens then? God says, uh-uh. "No more. No more shall I be called Jacob, supplanter, deceiver. I've got a new name for you. Your name." Is Israel, which means to strive with God and man, strive with God and man. He says, "For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed." Listen, I'm going to tell you that if you walk with God and tell Him exactly who you are, don't pretend God can change you. And when God looks at you, He says, "You know what? I don't see that anymore. You may be ugly on the inside, but I don't see anymore." I've forgiven you. I've cleansed you. I've got a new name for you. Struggling with God? I thought he was struggling with his father. I thought he was struggling with his brother. I thought he was struggling with Laban. I thought he was struggling with the sheep. No. God said, you were struggling with me. But you prevailed. How has he prevailed? He prevailed when in prayer. He said, God, I'm worthless. But you're loving. You're faithful. Deliver me. I'm going to count on you to deliver me. He prevailed. When he got to the point in the wrestling match, when he says, you know what? Above all else, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here's where he prevailed. is when he started to come in prayer and got to the point, God, I want nothing more than you. Nothing else more than you. How do you prevail with God is done in prayer? Listen, I want to bring to you a text in in Ephesians chapter 6. It tells us a little bit about who we fight with and who we struggle with. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up by the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand In the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And it goes listing out some of the the armor pieces. But then in verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Make supplication for all the saints. Prevail with God is to pray and get to the point. God, your will be done. Listen, as a church, we're calling our people to pray. You've got something in your bulletin. You need to understand, that's not just another Wednesday night activity. That's not, oh, okay, they're just, you know, praying. That's what church ought to be doing. We do that because we must do it. As a church, if we do not go with a good goal and do so with God in prayer, we are being just like Jacob. He was doing the will of God, but he did it in godless ways, depending on his wits and schemes. And when he got to the point where he was doing it in prayer, then we saw God say, you are prevailing we need to do so not in marketing schemes and, and being appealing in great worship styles and eloquent speech from the pastor. It's done by a church in prayer saying, God, your will be done. Let me, let me tell you what this means when you're praying. When you're trying to make a decision, whatever decision it is, if you've not got to the point when you can say, you know, this could go this way or it could go that way, or this way and this way, how many options there are. I am okay with any of those options as long as I know it's God's will. When you are totally content with whatever decision is directed your way because you know you're following the Lord, then you're at the right spot. When you can say, God, whatever, I will not let go unless you bless me. That's how you pray through to a decision. If you're always in the, in the bottom of your heart knowing, you know what, yeah, this could go this way, this way, this be. I really want this way. And I'm going to make sure it looks like God's leading this way. And I'm going to color all the events and circumstances so it looks like God's pointing this way. You know what you've done? I'm going to serve you, God, if <laughs> if you take me back to the land you promised and do all good that I've asked of you, then maybe you'll be my guide. You're Jacob of Genesis 28, not Genesis 32. And so he was blessed. Verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, the face of God, for I've seen God face to face. Yet my life has been delivered. And then verse 31, the imagery. See the imagery? It's been dark. It's all. Now the sun rose up as he passed Peniel, lipping because of his hip. He went to bed that night, strong, able-bodied, a hundred-year-old man, able to wrestle all night, confronting Esau the next day. He woke up a limping man, not able to wrestle anybody. He woke up walking crooked with mankind, but straight with God. He woke up weak in the flesh but strong in the spirit. See, God would rather him be crippled, but dependent on God, than to be able-bodied and independent from him. Understand that when we pray for the health of others. That before we pray necessarily for uh, they to be miraculously healed in whatever ways, that spiritually they are restored to God. And it could very well be that the sickness that they're in is God something he's using to get them spiritually right. And that was what was the case here. Can you imagine? Jacob... Lebanon or Israel now, it, You know, all the all the guys when they get, get out of injury like that, they want a good story to tell of how it happened. You know, I was wrestling a bear or something. You know, just son asked him, you know, what what's going on there, dad? I said, son, I had an encounter with God. And I don't walk the same. I don't walk the same. At what cost? Let me ask you, at what cost are you willing to pursue God? There will be a cause, but it will seem as nothing because you've got your greatest treasure in your relationship with God. Can you imagine the next morning, he wakes up, limping away. If he had, if he wouldn't sleep at all, comes across, confronts Esau. He's wrestled with him many times in his life. He knows what it takes, thinking, I hope I don't have to wrestle him, but you know, he's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm limping. Esau's thinking, man, 20 years have been tough on you. Esau said. Israel said, You know what? No. By the way, my name's not Jacob anymore. You knew me as Jacob, and I wasn't Jacob to you. You can call me Israel now. And you know what? You may kill me. You can do whatever you want. I can't do anything to stop you. I can't wrestle you anymore. But I don't have to. God will wrestle for me. I've confronted him all night, Esau. You're nothing. Because I know what it's like to be before God. When you live before God, you don't have to be afraid of man. When you pursue God, there's nothing that man can do to you. He's got a treasure that nothing can take away. Let me ask you how do you walk out of here? You walk out of here like Jacob, strong in body, wit, and spirit, and all kinds of great schemes in your mind. Achieving your purposes, or you walk out of here, Israel. Say, so you know what? I strive with these things, but now I've surrendered it. The great paradox He prevailed by losing.